0: Recently, I had somebody ask me what I share my playlist, my workout playlist, on social media. I I like to run, um, I love to lift weights, and um, I always listen to music. uh, Just, I mean, because it gets me going. And somebody asked me what I share. Hey, hey, Pastor P, we know you listen to certain songs. Would you share your playlist on social media? And my answer was no, Um, because because number one. I ain't got time. And number two, there's this thing called the Christian Mafia. I don't know if you know about them, but they they have rocks, and they love to throw them. And so some of the songs that I listen to might not be considered edifying by other people who have rocks. Um, and so so the fact that I listen to um, Drake, the fact, the fact that I listen to Eminem, Kid Rock, ACDC, the clean versions... Well, some, some of them are clean. Anyway, I, I listen to them because music makes you feel a certain way, right? I need songs when I work out that make me angry because if I get angry, I can run faster and I can lift more because music affects our moods. Would you agree, yes or no? Yeah. Like, if, I'm in a, if I need to be sad, um, I listen to country music, right, because the dog leaves and the truck won't start. And if you play the record backwards, the dog comes home and the truck starts. So, anyway, it's great. It's, it's, it's great. Um, Justin Bieber's new song, Lonely. I listened to that, and it broke my heart. I'm like, if anybody ever talks about him again, I'm going to punch him in the face. Hey, listen to the song. I mean, because, and so music has a way of affecting our moods. Would you agree? Yes or no? So, it's the same way in church. Now, it wasn't always that way. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, I went to a church where we did not sing worship music. We sang hymns. Pause. Nothing against the hymns. They just weren't that exciting in the 70s in the 80s, because I would go to church, and we would sing the first, the second, and the last verse. You always skip the third. You know why you always skip the third? That's the verse about the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about him. So first, second, and last stanza, and there was always somebody in front of the church that was doing this, right? And some of you went to the church, and the first time I went, I was like, is there a fly? Like, is he like, I serve a risen Savior, I can't get this fly. I mean, I, I didn't know what was going on, so I'm sitting there trying to watch and engage. Um and and the hymns just I mean I love some of the the hymns but most of them you sang the songs to get to the message and the message like you're the preacher's on a timer it's like you, it's not it's almost twelve buddy no Siri stop it because it literally Siri came on um and and you're watching the preacher and then you go home and and there was no worship it was just called singing but then in the mid nineties somewhere in the mid nineties there's this group and I'd never heard of them called Hillsong. And they came out with a song called Shout to the Lord. Darling, Check sang this song, and the first time I heard it, it was, it was unbelievable. And that song, along with this, there was another group that um, I heard of. It was a group of college students that met, and they called themselves Passion. And music came out of that movement, and it started working its way into the church, and it, it literally changed church world where the, the music time was no longer a time that we just got through to get to the message. The, wor- the, the music time actually became worship time where we engaged God. And I've had people tell me this, and, and they apologize when they tell me, but you don't ever have to apologize for this. I've had people say, I actually experienced, the, I engaged God more during the worship time than I did in your message. And I always tell people, me too. Like, like, yeah, me too. I, that never insults me because I want to create an atmosphere where I don't care how you engage with God. I just hope that you experience the presence of God some somehow in, in this service. During, during. No matter if you come to 8.30 or 10 or 11.30 or you're watching online, my prayer and hope is that you experience the presence of God. Well, all, all of this culminates in the fact that several weeks ago somebody asked me, what my favorite worship song of all time was and i was like oh gosh that's a that's a that's a good question because there's a lot out there that i could choose from but after i thought about it for a while it wasn't really difficult because it it was i said it's actually graves in the gardens graves in the gardens is a song written by our friends at elevation church um uh, Steve, pastor Stephen Furtick is the pastor up there. By the way, he says to tell everybody hello, and he loves you. Literally, I talked to him this morning, and he was like, tell them hello, and we love him, so we, we love him too. I mean, in Elevation, they write a brand-new worship song, like, every three seconds, and it just goes to the top. I mean, they're, they're wor- their music is awesome. But I never will forget this particular song, because it impacted me on such a deep level. And it's not an exaggeration to tell you that I listened to this song about Twenty times a week minimum, twenty times, sometimes more, and it's gotten so down deep in my soul that that I felt like I just needed to talk about it for a couple of weeks. Now, if you're here today and you're looking for a sermon, um, come in a couple weeks because we'll have one of those. Today is more of an overflow of what God's been doing in my life. Over the, it's it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back the pr- curtain and show you. Um, Some things that God's been showing me in my personal time with him as I'm running, as I'm listening to this song. Because this song, and, and my hope and prayer is this, that after today we'll never see this song the same. Because it's loaded with so much imagery and so much biblical reference and so much hope, which is something that I think anybody living in 2020 needs right now. All right? Let's, so let's just go through the song and like, let's kind of look at the the lyrics and and what it means. I searched the world but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Now, we we've all heard this argument like nothing in this world satisfies, which is kind of a lie. A little bit, it's a little bit of a lie cuz I got the iPhone 12 on Friday. iPhone 12, baby. And I know I'm gonna we'll get somebody. Must be nice to have an iPhone 12. It is. It's awesome. If you wasn't so, I mean, if you wasn't so crazy with your money, you wouldn't have your iPhone 7. You'd have an iPhone 12. I love my. I love my iPhone 12. It's awesome. And I love it until they come out with a 13, which they might not come out with a 13. You might skip 13, go to 14. If I was Apple, I'd think about that. But 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 I, I like my 12 until the 13 comes out and the 14 comes out. Isn't that true? Karis, I was talking to her the other day. Um, Karis is my 13-year-old daughter. She said, I wonder what it was like when the iPhone came out. I was like, I can tell you. I mean, I remember it. It was the year you were born. Um, And she said, did they call it the iPhone 1? I was like, no, baby. They just called it the iPhone because there was no plan to have an iPhone 2. But the day the iPhone 2 came out, I got it because the 2 was more than the 1. And nobody, nobody carries the original iPhone with them today. If you you do, it's because you went to the jockey lot yesterday and bought it from Bubba with a pack of little Debbie's and a duck. That that is what you buy at the jockey lot, all right? (laughs) I, I get a little loose in this service, I'm sorry. But, but it's true. Like, I like my phone until I see the next version. You loved your car until you saw your brother or your sister's car, and all of a sudden you didn't like your car. You loved your house until you went to your friend's house. You loved your TV until you saw their TV. And we've all heard this. Well, money can't buy you happiness. <laughs> Neither can poverty. But, but, but it, can, it can help us live indoors, right? But at the end of the day, all of us know that nothing in this world can permanently satisfy us, which probably means we were created for something other than this world. Now, we, this is the direction that a lot of people take, but as I've listened to this song over and over and again, I've thought about how this applies to church and religion because there's a lot of us here that we've searched the world, the, the religious world. We ju- we dove into church or we dove into a relationship with Jesus, do more, try harder. We tried that, and, and for some reason it didn't fill us. And, and people would tell us we're doing a good job, but it was never enough. And why is that? Well, there's a guy in the Bible named Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. And he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And this is what he says. And it's so powerful. This, this, this stanza in this song reminds me of this passage. Paul said, I was a member of the Pharisees. Pause. That sentence is loaded. Member of the Pharisees? Pharisees had the first five books of the, the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. And by the way, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all the way through Malachi, they had that memorized too. I mean, every once in a while, I'll, I'll meet somebody, like, hey, they memorized like a whole chapter of Scripture. A Pharisee would have said, Psh, I could say it backwards. A Pharisee, when it comes to like being a good person, memorizing scripture, all they would roll us up, and smoke us. That is a reference to CBD, because weed is illegal, unless you're watching from Colorado. Talk about a Rocky Mountain high. Anyway, so that <laughs> it, it is. I heard it was legal. I've never been there. Um, but Paul said I was a I was a Pharisee. Watch this who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Now that's loaded because according to some people there were 613 laws and other people there were 619 laws. That's a lot of law. That's a lot of rules to follow. And that was just the written law. The Jews also had the oral law, which was over 2,000 different commandments. So we're talking, Paul said, I kept 2,600 commandments. I can't even... Keep the speed limit commandment on the way to church, right? But he said, I was, watch this, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Can you believe that there was a time in history where hyper-religious people were critical of churches? We've came so far in 2,000 years, Um. He said, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul said, in other words, I was a good person. I searched the world. Like, I was, I, was, I was successful is what Paul was saying. But then he says this. I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul said, all that stuff that I did, all that stuff I accomplished, is nothing compared to what Jesus has done, is doing, and is going to do in me, with me, and through me. He goes on to say this. He said, Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Now, that word garbage is a bad interpretation because the Greek word is a word called skubula. In fact, I want us to all say skubula on three. One, two, three, skubula. Yeah. Now, scuba. In English, I'm not going to say it, but I'm going to tell you what it rhymes with. It rhymes with it, quit, lit, bit, mit, and fit. It's a cuss word. We have an emoji for it. And it's in the Bible. I don't believe it. Just Google it. Just Google scubula, but don't hit images because <laughs> it'll just get crazy. Paul said that that's what all my righteous work, that's what I count it as. Scubula, so that I could gain Christ. That's what Paul said. Now, from a personal standpoint, I can relate. Because in the religious world, I was successful. I was the pastor of one of the largest, fastest-growing churches in America. I wrote a New York Times bestseller I was on the conference speaker uh, circuit. People were calling me, wanting to come to their churches. I was in high demand, and I thought, man, all this stuff is great, and then I lost it. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Because I, through that, I found my identity and who Christ says I am, rather than who other people, good or bad, say that I am. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me either. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along. Next verse of the song says, then you came along. And you put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. You know, he, did, he does that. He puts it with like once our life gets shattered. And all of us have had our lives shattered or had a life-shattering event take place. And he'll take us, and he'll put us back together. But he doesn't put us back together with a prayer, a poem, a pat on the head, and sending us out the door. Putting us back together is a process. He, he'll take the pieces that, that life has, like, broken us. He'll take those pieces, and through a process, he will put us back together. And all of us know what it's like to have to be put back together. And Jesus said, no matter how many pieces you feel like your life is in, I can take those pieces and over time, it's a process, remember, it's over, over time, put you back together. Now, this reminded me of um, a particular passage of Scripture. Let me set it up this way. I took Karis one day on a Saturday to the zoo. It, it was a, like a good alternative because the other alternative was build a bear, and I didn't have $4,000 to drop on a bear that day, so so we went to the zoo, right? And we're looking, you know, there's the elephant the tiger and the lion and the monkey, and then, like, we're having fun. We're walking around. Bought us some ice cream. We're kind of walking around, kind of chilling. Next thing I knew, I got hit in the side of the head with a rock. Like, I'm, like, out of nowhere. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is a, this is a beautiful day. <laughs> and I said, what? I'm not going to tell you what I said. I said, what, the scuba?" And, um, <laughs> and I turned and looked, and there's a kid about five or six years old, sitting about 10 feet from me, and he's got a rock. He's got another rock in his hand. And I'm thinking, dude, at least drop the rock so there's plausible deniability. You're never going to be able to be a politician. So I start. I just I went into dad mode and I walked over to this kid and I said, Hey, 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 do you hit me with my rock? And he was like, I said, Where's your mom or dad? He went, They ain't here. I was like, Who'd you come with? He said, My grandma. I said, That's better. Where's your grandma? She pointed. I was like, Come over here. Come on. I didn't touch him. I didn't touch him. I didn't touch him because somebody's always got a camera. So I said, come on, come on. He followed me over. I said, ma'am, are you his grandma? She said, what'd he do? <laughs> I said, you see this blood right here? She went, uh-huh. I said, he hit me in the head with a rock. She wore his butt out. It was awesome. I was like, Karis, watch this for a second. This is going to be great. You're going to get some popcorn. Hey, popcorn right here. I never have forgotten that, though, getting hit with a rock. Now, growing up, you probably got, like, you threw rocks at somebody or somebody threw rocks. But if you've ever been hit with a rock and somebody, like, legitimately threw it, it hurt. But, you know, rocks aren't always physical. Some of us have been hit with some rocks that people threw at us that hurt. Things people said whether they were true or not, hurt. Paul experienced that. The guy we're talking about that wrote in Philippians, Paul in Acts chapter 14, this is what the Bible says, this is what Luke tells us. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul. This is why they killed people back in that time period. One of the ways. They would take you and throw rocks at you until you were dead. Can you imagine that? They stoned Paul, thinking he was dead. But as, watch this, but as the believers gathered around him, don't miss this. He's laying on the ground dead. People think he's dead. A bunch of people just come stand around him. Luke didn't say they prayed. Luke didn't say they sang. Luke didn't say they did anything other than, you know what, we're standing with the guy on the ground. And what happens when believers rally around somebody that's been wounded? He got up and went back into town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. I read this passage of scripture every day. Every day I read this passage of scripture. And I thank God. That when I, was, when I was broken, he put me back together. And you know how he put me back together? He put me back together through people in this church. That's how God puts me, God puts us back together through people. And I want this to be a place where the broken can be broken, admit they're broken and let god take people. Listen, when we're wounded, sometimes we just need people to gather around us. Because you know what happens? When we when people gather around us, that's when we find the courage to stand back up and walk back into town. And every time I pull into the parking lot and I look at that banner, I get tears in my eyes and I get choked up, not because I'm doing ministry again, but because I'm doing ministry with people that were willing to gather around me when I was on the rock, on the ground. Left for dead. So 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 then so then then we sing, oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. There's nothing better than you. That that's a I love that verse. Some people go, it just kind of repeats over and over again. Why does it do that? Because of people like you. Um so you can remember it. I don't know. I need repetition. I need repetition because sometimes we forget how good he is. Sometimes we forget because of where we are, where we could have been had he not intervened at that point in our lives. I mean, we forget. And so I want to sing there's nothing better than you. And I'm telling you, there's there's nothing better than Jesus today. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would tell you the reason you need to give your life to Christ is there's nothing better. If you're here today and you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, I get it. But I'm here to tell you, there's nothing better than Jesus. It reminds me of a passage of scripture that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. In other words, he said, what I've discovered is greater than what I have, so I'm going to give up what I have in order to obtain what I discovered. That's who Jesus is. So when we sing that song, and we sing there's nothing better than you, there's nothing better than you, every time I sing that, I try to sing it louder, and I try to sing it louder, and I try to sing it louder because it's so true. At the end of the day, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than Jesus. Then we go to the next verse that says, I'm not afraid. To show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all. And you still call me, what's that last word right there? On three, one, two, three, friend. You still call me friend. See, as a church, churches need to decide. We've made the decision a long time ago that if we're going to be palaces of purity or basements of grace. And this this will never be a palace of purity. You'll never be able to walk in here. And say, man, these people got it. These people got their scuba together. <laughs> you, you'll you never be able to say that because we don't. I, as a pastor, am telling you, I, I'm the most messed up person in the room. But you know what? I'm not scared. I, I'll make jokes every once in a while, and, and I'll say, oh, Pastor P hitting the bottle again, and everybody laughs. And I had somebody pull me aside and say, you can't joke about that. I'm like, the heck I can't joke about it. That's my life. I can make a joke about my life. You know what? I either can laugh about it or I can cry about it. And I I, I don't know how much time I got left in this world, but I ain't got time to be a victim. I'm not a victim. I'm walking in victory, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. At the end of the day, though, the reason I'm able to walk in victory is because he got me to a place where I had to show my weakness. This had to come out, and I want this to be a place where you walk into, and you don't have to hide what you're struggling with. You don't have to hide what you're wrestling with. You can show your weakness understanding that that he's still going to call you friend. He knows everything about us and loves us anyway. See, when my weakness got exposed, it was public. And I've had people say, Pastor P, I don't feel good talking to you about what I went through because what you went through was way more public. Listen, just because mine was more public doesn't mean it was more painful. You can't measure, you can't measure pain. Pain is pain. But that stanza in that song reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples the night, some people call it the Last Supper. It wasn't the Last Supper because we are going to have another supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb. So this is the Lord's Supper. That's what I call it. Um, Jesus is hanging out with his boys the night before he's crucified, and he said, I no longer call you slaves, which was like, that's pretty good. I'm glad you quit that, Jesus, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are now my, what's this word say on three? One, two, 3, Friend. My failures and flaws, Lord, you know them all, and you still call me friend. It's a Just probably coincidence. You are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Jesus called these guys friends. This is the night before he's crucified. Now, a couple quick questions. Number one, did Jesus know that this entire group of people was about to abandon him? Yes or no? Yeah. Did he know that somebody like Peter gets accused, but I think a few more did it. Did he he know that these people were going to deny they knew him? that deny they knew him, yes or no? Yes. Do you think that he knew that some of them were actually going to doubt the resurrection, yes or no? And he still called them friends. In other words, he's locking eyes with all of them going, I know, I know you're all about to mess up. And we're still calling you friends. Well, they did. I mean, he gets arrested. They run. They abandon him. They denied him. And eventually, they went all the way back to Galilee. Now, why is that significant? Number one, it's about a week. It takes about a week to walk from Jerusalem to Galilee. Number two, that's where they met Jesus. So they went back to the place they were before they met Jesus. And then in John 21, Peter takes a group of people fishing. What was Peter doing before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman. So here you got a picture of somebody that was once close to Jesus. Something happened, and now he's back at the place where he was before he met Jesus doing the same thing he was doing when he met Jesus. In the South, we call this backsliding. And when you backslide, you you, you get lectured, and you get told that God doesn't like you, and God's disappointed in you, and God can't believe you're doing this, and, 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 and there's a lot of guilt and condemnation with that. But Jesus showed up. On the scene. John 21 says the disciples went out and they fished all night. In other words, they were doing what they do and they, they were doing what they did before they met Jesus. And the next morning they saw Jesus on the shore. But I want you to pay close attention to a word that maybe has never caught your attention. John 21, verse 4 and 5. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them Friends. He called them the same thing after they had denied him, that he had called them before. In other words, he's saying, I haven't changed my mind about you. My failures and flaws, you knew them all, and you still call me friend. I'm still loved by God. That is Mind-blowing. This is his promise to us. This right here is the place where, when you go to Israel, it's called um, Peter's Promise. There's a church that sits right over here, but this is the shore where they think that Jesus would have actually restored Peter back into ministry. This picture is, I've got it saved on my phone as a reminder that he still calls me, friend, and he still calls you. I don't care how far you feel like you have fallen away. He hasn't changed his mind about you. Because the next verse says, because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. And there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. In other words, we haven't fallen too far and we haven't messed up too much for God to find us again. And, and this right here, because I'm a visual person, I'm very visual. You give me an instruction book, I can't do it. You show me a YouTube video, I can figure it out. So I've been to Israel multiple times, and one of my favorite places is on the mount, top of the Mount of Olives. This picture is taken on top of the Mount of Olives. This is the city of Jerusalem, um, and, and the Mount of Olives is very significant in biblical history, it's where, um, <laughs> it's where Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to come back, and he's going to put one foot on the Mount of Olives. There's actually a ministry that has a Jesus is coming back camera, and you can go and watch and see if Jesus is coming back. They got it set up, 24, we're going to capture the second coming of Jesus. And I'm like, y'all keep watching. I'm going with him. All right? I, 2020 is a great year for him to come back. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but this is the Mount of Olives. And in the Bible, this is where Jesus was. This is where the Palm Sunday Road starts. And on Palm Sunday, that's where people put down palm branches and they were shouting at Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what I would call a mountaintop experience. And all of us have had mountaintop experiences with God. All of us have had that experience or those experiences where we just felt super close. But the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Now this right here that you'll see is the Kidron Valley. You've got to go down this mountain Right over here is the Garden of Gethsemane. So on top of the mountain, he's hearing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then you get in the valley and you hear Jesus saying, Stop, Siri. Yeah, Jesus is basically saying, I didn't get that. In other words, Father, if this cup could pass from me, it always happens at 1130 service, doesn't it? Father, if this cup could pass for me, The God of the mountain is still God in the valley. See, God wasn't punishing Jesus. He was taking Jesus through the valley to a place. You'll see right here, this is the Dome of the Rock. On the other side of the Dome of the Rock, there's two smaller domes. There's a small dome here, and there's a larger dome next to it. This is called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and it's, it's in two parts. This part right here, the smaller part, this would have been outside the city when Jesus was crucified historians and archaeologists believe that Jesus was crucified here and the sepulcher is the place where he was buried and eventually came back to life three days later. So we go, the God of the mountain is still God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. And if you're here, it's because God's taken you to a place where when he's finished with you, the work he does in you, will blow your mind cuz nobody else sees it coming. And then 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 we go back into the core so there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing there's nothing better than you. I love singing that because it's so true. And then, and then you get to the part of the song that's called the bridge, where you say, "You turn mourning into dancing." In other words, you turn now. Now the visuals here are huge because watch this: you turn mourning, which is the crucifixion, into dancing. This is the Garden Tomb. This is the resurrection. God turns mourning into dancing. I know for a fact He's done that with my life because there was a time four years ago where I would describe my life as mourning. I thought it was over. I thought it was done. But today, it's a different day. I feel better than I've ever felt. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I feel like I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been. Once again, not a testimony of how strong I am because I'm not strong. I'm weak. i Every day I get out of bed and I'm like, Jesus, if you'll get me through this day, we'll get to tomorrow. That's what what he's done for me. He's taken my morning and turned it into dancing. Four years ago, if you told me I'd be doing this, I would have called you crazy. But you know what? God has a plan for my life. And not only does he have a plan for my life, he's got a plan for your life as well. To take your morning and turn it into dancing. So if you're mourning today, I'm not going to tell you it doesn't matter. I'm not going to tell you to shut up. I'm not going to tell you to quit crying. I'm not going to tell you to get over it. I'm just going to tell you that we have a God that will take your mourning and turn it into dancing. He, he, he takes He takes our mourning. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing is what's, what David wrote in Psalm 30, 11. Then, he, then the song says, you give beauty for ashes. You give beauty for ashes. Now, one of my first jobs, I worked in a restaurant. I had to clean tables, and I had to clean ashtrays. Ashtrays are nasty. Nasty. They smell bad. And nobody ever came into the restaurant and said, hey, what you going to do with them ashes? Why? I'm, I'm, I'm collecting ashes. Can I get some of those ashes? Nobody ever said that. I used to clean out the fireplace. My mom and dad would build a fire, and they'd be like, I get to clean it out. And you, know, and you get ashes all over you. You get them on your clothes. You just smell nasty. There's nothing good about ashes except When they get in the hands of Jesus, because he said, I'll I'll give beauty for ashes. How does he do that? Well, the cross, nothing good came from a crucifixion on a cross until God got a hold of it. And he took ashes and made them something beautiful. See, that's the God we serve. That's That's who God is you 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 to all who mourn in israel he will give a crown of beauty for ashes that's a promise in the scripture we can hold on to you turn shame into glory you turn shame how how does he do this i don't know but 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 the cross the cross wasn't just to kill people it was to shame people they were hung naked and bleeding, and there was there, there was nothing but shame associated with the cross. But the song says, you turn shame into glory. See, this cancels this out. All this happened. But in Christ, don't miss this. I hadn't said this all service. I hadn't said this in any service. I'm going to say it in this service, though. In Christ, this doesn't define your life. This does. And if you're identifying with this, it's my hope and prayer today that you can discover that this is what God wants for all of us. He said in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 4, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. When we move into our new facility just right down the road, these are going to be the verses that hang over every door entering our sanctuary. Because we by God's grace, are building a house where shame has no name. I don't care who you are or what you've done. You're not going to be defined by your past. You're going to be defined by your potential. And how do I know he takes shame and turns it into glory? Listen, I I know a little something about shame. I know a little something about being shamed. But since we started Second Chance we've seen 1218 people come to Christ that's shame being turned into to glory you turn graves into gardens like nobody likes hanging out in a graveyard like it's, it, well most people don't like hanging out in a graveyard i'm sure there's somebody here going i kind of like hanging out in the graveyard okay just don't tell me about it tell somebody but i don't like graveyards but this this was a graveyard this was a graveyard where Nobody went to a graveyard to rejoice. Nobody went to a graveyard to be happy. Jesus, through his resurrection, took a graveyard and turned it into a garden. And if that's what he did for this location, that's what he wants to do for our lives. You turn bones into armies. This is, that every time I sing that lyric, I think back to opening Sunday at Second Chance. I think back to the story in Ezekiel chapter 37 where God takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones and says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the best answer. You know, God. You know, come on. You know, because he didn't want to say no. And by the end of the story, God had taken these bones and turned them into an army. That's That's what he's doing in our church. I've met so many people in this church, and your story is that you were dry and dehydrated and felt spiritually dead. But through a process, God is slowly turning you from bones into an army. I believe he's raising up an army not to take over, not to take control, but to literally walk out these doors and show this community, this nation, and this world what it means to take Jesus at his word to love one another. You turn seas into highways. This is a reference when the children of Israel are leaving Egypt. They're being pursued by Pharaoh and his army. They get to the Red Sea. They've got nowhere to go. The only way they could make it through was a miracle, and God parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked through on dry ground. You know, we were facing down a situation where our lease is up in this, in this building in April, and it looked like for a while we were going to have to go back to a digital church because we couldn't find a place. But God opened the doors on this place in ways, and I've talked about it before, that blow... My mind and if he did this for us as a church what miracles does he want to do in your life see this is just a reminder that he did this for our church but he wants to do this for our lives he wants listen he wants to do greater miracles in your life than you could ever imagine he wants to literally take seas and turn them into highways because at the end of the day he's the only one who can so I don't care what you walked in here with today If it's a a storm, stress, worry, fear, shame, ashes, God can take it and turn it into something beautiful. He's the only one. He's the only one who can. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you for every single person here today that has walked in the room or has joined us online god i want to thank you for those that maybe god they've they've just got a great relationship with you right now their walk is great and their heart is connected and they feel solid god i want to thank you for that god you are so gracious and so loving and so merciful that you've blessed some in that way but god i want to thank you god also for the person here god and they walked in today and god they just need a miracle They just need something amazing supernatural to happen god i pray for the person that wants to give up just throw their hands up and quit god that they would be over these next few moments encouraged god that there's nothing better than you you really are able to take graves and turn them into gardens god you really are able to take a mess and turn it into a miracle. You're the only one who can. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, I wanna thank you that that's who you are and that's what you do. Jesus, that you are still in the miracle business, that you take the broken and the busted and you make us beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter where we are today in our life, that you still call us friends there's nothing better than you with heads bowed and eyes closed i don't know what graveyard you feel like you're in i don't know what piece of hope that has died in your life but maybe you just need to cry out in your heart right now jesus take this grave and turn it into a garden i know you can't jesus if you did it then you can do it again jesus take my grave and turn it into a garden. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come in your life and you're like, if He can change that, if He can change you, I know He can change me. You know you need Jesus right where you stand or watching online. I want you to pray with me and say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Take over. Take control. With the head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you just said that prayer, whether you're in the room or you're online, I want you to put your hand up right now because I want to pray for you. If you're online, you do the hand raise emoji. We just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you are changing lives. I thank you so much, Jesus, I feel like God, you gave somebody their hope back today. I feel like you gave somebody their joy back today. I feel like you gave somebody a vision today, God, that they're gonna be able to walk out of this place. And they're not walking into a graveyard, Jesus. They're walking into a garden. They're walking into greater things. May we walk out of this place with the faith knowing, God, that you can take our graves and turn them into gardens. You're the only one that can. Everybody that agreed with this prayer said, Amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Come back next week for part two where it's going to be a lot more fun. Love you guys. God bless. We'll see you all next Sunday.